loves us as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us as we are. And we're going to hear today the final week of our series, Lord of the Impossible, about, and all these, this, all these sermons throughout this series have been about how God, uh, the Lord is, as Jesus said, is all things are possible for those who believe. And this is the final week of that, as we're going to hear the story of Jacob and God wrestling, Jacob wrestling with God. And this is a very important theological concept, this, this idea that, that, that God's love pursues us, that even though we may be wounded in life, that God is with us as he maybe wrestles with us, and we wrestle with God. And then the good news is that, that when we wrestle with God, we always get more of God. This is a very important theological concept. The grace of God pursues us. And some people will say, I've heard this over the years, they'll say, well, I don't really do theology, right? Uh, I'll leave that for the professionals, um, for the pastors. I don't do theology. Like, here's my religious life, here's my life life, and theology is for other people. But, but in reality, everyone really does theology. Theology, the study of God, what's been known historically as the queen of the sciences, this pursuit of the knowledge of God. Everyone does theology, whether we acknowledge it or not. Even atheists do an anti-theology of a God that apparently doesn't exist. So why would you even bother? But, but we all do theology. And it's fundamental because what we believe about God, it fundamentally alters and shapes how we view ourselves, other people, and ultimately how we view reality, the ultimate search, the ultimate quest. And so if we believe that God can and will wrestle with us because he loves us, if God will wrestle us into a transformed life, if we believe that, this should actually give us hope. This is good news, actually, as we'll see in a little while. Because if, if we believe in an eternal life, if we believe in heaven and a future judgment, as it says in the Bible, then that should shape how we live here and now. If we believe that the love and the grace and the forgiveness of God, we're forgiven of our sin, we're forgiven of our past, that we maybe have to deal with the ramifications of our choices, but that God still forgives us of our sin. If we believe that, then it fundamentally changes how we, how we live out our future, right? I mean, so these beliefs, these this theology that we all have, it shapes how we view the world, how we view ourselves, and how we view our neighbor. A lot of people have preconceived notions of God. Their theology could be full of stereotypes about God. So, for example, if, you, if you're God, your theology of God is very strict, and God is always the judge, I found that people who are like that, well, they're kind of judgmental. They tend to be very self-righteous. Let's say on the other side, let's say your theology of God is God is just all grace, and he's incredibly permissive. Well, then you'll find yourself giving yourself a lot of, uh, a lot of freedom, maybe too much freedom, too much moral or ethical permission to yourself and other people. Do you see? Do you see how our theology impacts how we view the world? This is the ultimate question in many ways, actually. So what we believe about God, 
is fundamental to how we live our lives and who we are as human beings. It changes our whole worldview. Some people maybe believe that God is a sort of senile advisor, maybe like a, a really old Santa Claus that sort of gives people what they want, but he's not really involved in the affairs of the world, almost like the, the blind watchmaker idea that, he, that God just sort of set the spheres of eternity in motion and then left. Some people maybe view God as the, he's like a militaristic sovereign and, and he's out to get everyone. There's no grace with this God. There's, and there's no, it's all truth, really. Maybe some people stereotype of God, their theology is that God is this sort of laissez-faire, Hugh Hefner type with a smoking jacket on, and he maybe comforts us into a transformed life or not, you know, kind of do whatever you want. There's really no, no real good grace here. There's no truth with this God. But as we'll see today, the God, as we see in the Bible, defies our stereotypes. He goes outside of our understanding with who he is. And, and this is a good thing, that God wrestles us into a transformed life, that God is God and we are not. And this is the fundamental question, and really this whole sermon today, and here it is, is what you and I believe about God, is it in congruence and agreement with what we read in the Bible? Is our theology about God in congruence and agreement with what it says in the Bible? This is the fundamental question that needs to be answered. Because a lot of people's ideas of God, as we've seen, they may sound good, but they're not in line with what we see in the Bible. For example, in 2018, Pew Research had a, uh, a poll with 4,700 American adults. Now, 80% of those polled said they believed in God, which is actually the lowest percentage we've seen in modern history. But still, 80% said they believed in God. Now, of those 80%, 56% said they believe in God as described in the Bible. And of those 56%, um, only 28% of those believe that God would maybe uh, punish or discipline uh, us. So to recap, of the 80% of people who said they believe in God, half of a half only believe in God as described in the Bible and only believe that God might be tough on us. So it's a very low percentage. Now I get that because we don't want to believe that God could be uh, wanting to discipline us or challenge us or we don't want God to be perceived as harsh. But you see, if we, we can hold two things in tension at the same time, that God is love, we know that's clear throughout Scripture, but we also know in verses like Hebrews 12, 6, it says the Lord disciplines those that he loves. And you see how these things aren't in, in uh, conflict with each other, but they actually work in harmony with each other that we don't have to pick one or the other. And as we're going to hear today in this passage from Genesis, that this God portrayed here does not fit any of our stereotypes at all. That this isn't a God that, missed, that, is, that, that wants to comfort us into a transformed life, but really wants to sometimes wrestle us 
into a transformed life. I'm going to be reading from Genesis 32, starting in verse 22. During the night, Jacob got up and took his two wives. It's a different sermon. Uh, Maybe we'll get there one day. He took his two wives, his two servant wives, and his 11 sons and crossed the Jabbok River with them. After taking them to the other side, he sent over all his possessions. This left Jacob all alone in the camp. And a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. Then the man, who turns out to be the Lord, says, Let me go, for the dawn is breaking. They wrestled all night long. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked Jacob, What is your name? That's a very Jesus question. Of course God knows his name. The man replies, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel, because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Israel means one who strives with God or one who has wrestled with God. Then Jacob says, please tell me your name. The man replies, why do you want to know my name? Then he blessed Jacob there. Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God, for he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. The sun was rising as Jacob left, and he was limping because of the injury to his hip. Okay, all right. Who thinks of this passage? (laughs) Why is this in the Bible? Who could have invented this story? Whether it's metaphorical or literal, the point is the same, that it must have happened in some capacity because you can't invent this sort of thing from happening. No one can imagine a God like this. This is not the God of the liberal church because the God here is not permissive. He's not grace only. He's not live and let live. Far from it. What we see here is is God intentionally wounding Jacob and yet also blessing him. This also isn't the God of the conservative church. Jacob was uh, trying his best to live a moral, upright life. He'd been trying to do right, but then God will clobber you? God will put you in a headlock? See, the story of Jacob here defies our stereotypes. And it should fuel our understanding a bit more of the character and the nature of God. A lot of times, this story of Jacob has been described as a conversion story, that Jacob, through his wrestling, is converted. And I could see how you could say that. But in many ways, Jacob has already begun his process of conversion. He's already begun moving toward in God's direction. See, first, Jacob was leading his family, his possessions, he was his livestock. He was going back to the promised land, as God told him to do in the previous chapter, Genesis 31, where the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. And Jacob did that. He's doing that. But Jacob is scared to death. He's scared to death because his estranged brother Esau and 400 men are trying to get him. 
So after splitting up his household, Jacob splits up his household into half, into two camps, and tries to avoid annihilation. Jacob, understandably suffering insomnia and, and probably a lot of anxiety, he intends to spend the night alone, no doubt, in desperate prayer. And take note of what God does when he wrestles Jacob in this passage. Jacob began the night dreading Esau's arrival, his brother, his brother that he had stolen the, or really been given the birthright to, that he had taken it in many ways, and Esau's out to get revenge. He spent the night dreading his brother's arrival, and he was full of fear and desperation. But if you look at the end of the story, even though he's limping, he ends the night with God's blessing and a renewed faith. See, this is a good reminder that when God wrestles with us and we wrestle with God and we may struggle with God and we go through a valley in our lives and we feel like it's never going to end and maybe you're there right now, you can know that eventually that struggling will end with peace. Whether it's in this life or the life to come, it will eventually end with peace because God disciplines those that he loves. God wrestles us into a transformed life. And there's really two points I want to make about this passage. Two points. One is that God wrestles with Jacob through the pain. And the second point is that God is that Jacob wrestled with God for a blessing. So God wrestles with, with Jacob through the pain. And secondly, that Jacob wrestled with God for a blessing. The first one Jacob and God are wrestling in the midst of pain. God is, is, God wounds Jacob, but notice this. God doesn't leave Jacob. He doesn't forsake him. He doesn't curse him, but God is with him in the pain. This reminds me of John chapter 11, when the, the, the brother of Mary, Lazarus, dies and they're all very good friends with Jesus. And they run to Jesus and they say, Lazarus has died. Come to the tomb. And Jesus comes to the tomb. Lazarus has been dead for many days. Jesus actually waits a little bit before he goes to the tomb. But he comes to the tomb. And Jesus famously weeps over the death of Lazarus, a man that he loved, that he probably perceived as almost like a brother. And this is a divine mystery here that I'm not going to give some easy answer to and tie a theological bow around this. But this is the divine mystery with when we wrestle with God. God will use suffering even as he suffers along with us. That Jesus is, knows that death is present with Lazarus, but he still weeps with his creation. There's a mystery there. But Jesus is doing this because he's perfect. He's perfect. He never makes mistakes. And he is love. But God may use the pain even as he feels the pain along with you and I. Now, a lot of times people may um, want to distill this down into this phrase. Well, it happened for a reason, right? What, what happened happened for a reason. Don't give up. And and we've heard this at funerals or, or what have you. This is a platitude. This is a platitude that can be kind of harmful. 
because it makes it sound very dismissive and calculating that God somehow caused suffering and pain to happen. And, and you know, and so, so a lot of times people will just write off that statement altogether because it, it can come across as kind of harsh. But you really can't dis- dismiss that completely out of hand. There very well may be a reason in the mind of God. We just don't know what it is. Just because we don't know or understand why there's pain, just because Jacob he's like, doesn't know why God just hurt his hip, it, it doesn't mean there isn't a reason or an eternal purpose. Just because we can't understand or perceive it. I mean, think about it this way. If Jacob had not wrestled and strown, striven with God, even to the point of injury, if he had not done that, would the nation of Israel have even been born? It's out of this occurrence that we see the nation of Israel birthed. Out of this God struggling and you and them struggling with God and wrestling with them through the pain. And out of this is birthed a nation with a new name and a new identity, a new people, really. So God wrestles with us, God wrestled with Jacob through the pain. He's with him in it. He's with you now in it. And whatever it is that you're in, where you are is not who you are. We have to remember that. You know, I thought about that when I was home and I was sick with a COVID-19. And you begin to feel the temptation to feel pretty sorry for yourself and feel a lot of self-pity. And I had to remind myself, where I am is not who I am. It's not my identity. It's temporary. It will pass. And that's the same for us today. And secondly, the second point is that Jacob wrestled God for the blessing, for a blessing. And this is very similar to what Jesus said about prayer, where he tells us to ask and seek and knock and don't give up. And there's a persistence to faith. There's a, there's, there is a, a, a choice of the will, if, if you will, where we actively decide to seek and wrestle and, and strive with God. And the good news is that when we do this, we get more of God. Jacob does this. He asks for a blessing, and he gets more of God. And God wrestles him into a transformed life. And this is an important part of this story. When God asked Jacob his name, Jacob answers truthfully this time. See, you have to remember, when Jacob was younger, he tricked his blind father, Isaac. He tricks him by giving him the blessing that was meant for his older brother Esau, hence Esau's anger in pursuing Jacob. In Genesis 27 and 28, Jacob dresses up like his brother to look like him, and pretends to be Esau to steal the blessing from his father. Now, this is important. A lot of people, human nature, we love to put on costumes and external things to get the things we think we need. We all can have a gap between the person we want to be and the person we are. So we could create a fake identity to bridge the gap. Jacob got the blessing from his father by pretending to be someone he wasn't. And because he did this, he had to spend the next 20 years on the run 
from his brother. He got exactly what he wanted, but he never enjoyed it. See, this is an important point about this blessing story of Jacob. God cannot bless who you pretend to be. God cannot bless who you pretend to be. It's interesting that God says to Jacob, what is your name? God knows his name. Of course he does. But he wants to see the intention of Jacob's heart. See, we can't fool God with our disguises. And the blessings we get when we pretend are not even real blessings that we can fully enjoy for ourselves. But when he asked Jacob his name, Jacob answers truthfully this time. And one key to finding our very true selves is just to admit who we are. All God wants for us is to come to him as we are. He then gives us a new name, a new identity. Like Jacob, he gives him a new name and a new path and a new identity. And today, God can give you a new identity in Christ if we'll come with him with honesty and surrender. See, for God to wrestle us into a transformed life, we have to be honest with God. We have to stop pretending and just be honest with God and therefore honest with ourselves. It's very freeing. The past many weeks, I've been watching this TV show called Alone. It comes on the History Channel. And we've kind of really gotten into it. If you don't know what the show is, uh, people uh, are given a lot of camera equipment and some provisions that they can, they can pick from 10 things, and they get sent out into the wilderness, like in Vancouver or uh, Patagonia, and they are left, literally left alone. And whoever can go the longest wins $500,000. I guess, I think now it's a million. And some of these people will be out in the wilderness for like 78 days, 87 days, eating squirrels and, and drinking river water and sleeping. I mean, it's, it's, an, it's an interesting show. And so since we've been watching it, my son said, hey, Dad, I want a bow and arrow. I'm like, that sounds pretty cool. I'd like a bow and arrow. So I found kind of a starter set with the blunt arrows. We ordered it. It's fun to go out and practice shooting the arrows. And, and kind of get better at, at practice, you know, aiming and everything, and you feel that satisfying thunk of letting the arrow go. Well, I was reading recently of one of my uh, favorite Christian authors, his name is Jack Deere, and he was talking about he's, he likes to, to practice archery as well. And he said, I was getting lessons from a, a Montana state champion in archery. And he was, I was, he was, we were practicing, and I was looking at the target, and I was shooting and looking at it, and then my coach said to me, okay, now I want you to close your eyes. Before you let go of the arrow, I want you to close your eyes. I want you to know what it feels like to shoot a good shot. Not to, not to see it, but I want you to know what it feels like. So he said, I shot the arrow six, seven, eight times. Sometimes my coach wouldn't say anything. Other times he would say that was a good shot. And he said it was very unsettling for me because I couldn't see. I didn't know if it was a good shot. And he said, he turned to me, looked me in the eyes like a prophet, and he said something I'll never forget. He said to me, don't ever lie to yourself. If you don't tell yourself the truth first, you'll never become a good shot. You'll never progress beyond a novice. 
If you don't realistically assess what you're doing and feeling, you'll end up making the same mistakes. And Deer said, I had a breakthrough of a spiritual understanding in this very moment, and it was this, that growth begins when we realize our spiritual powerlessness. Growth begins when we realize our need for grace. And there was a time in my own life when I was younger, and we all felt this way with our faiths. Maybe we felt a bit too superior to other people, and we feel so superior, we can't honestly assess our own spiritual form. But in humility, we can. In God's mercy, like Jacob, he will occasionally wrestle us into a transformed life, maybe to show us how far off we are. Some people may never grow in the spirit because they may lie to themselves and to each other and never stop to honestly assess their form. This is why God loves us too much. God loves us as we are, but won't leave us as we are. He wrestles us into a transformed life because he knows we can't do it on our own. See, and not only do we need to be honest with God, honest with ourselves, God wrestling us into a transformed life because he loves us, but the prayers we pray when we wrestle for someone else, when we intercede on the behalf of someone else, when you're praying for your son or your daughter or a friend or a coworker, and, you, and you're, you're burdened for them, right? You're, you feel like you're wrestling for them. And I've always said this, whatever you're burdened for, that's, that could be a calling. When we feel a burden for something and we can't shake it, it's a good burden. We can't shake it. Like you feel this vision to go to a certain country or a, a mission or a ministry or a person, and it's a burden. Pay attention to that because it could be the Spirit laying it on your heart to pray and to wrestle with it. That, that just because you wrestle doesn't mean it's a bad thing, but it could be that, that you're striving with God for something. But I've thought about this when I have been praying for other people, or particularly when people have wrestled uh, for me. When I was younger and people prayed for me, I had friends and roommates in college that prayed for me. And they really, uh, and even youth leaders in youth group, when I was sort of struggling in high school, they, they really prayed me into the faith. They were wrestling with me. You know what I'm talking about. It reminds me of the story of the actor Denzel Washington. And he was being interviewed by Oprah Winfrey. Midway through the interview, Denzel Washington talked about the encouragement that his mother had given him through his life. He didn't know Denzel Washington's father was a pastor for many, many decades. He and his wife were longtime church leaders. And Denzel Washington shares a story of uh, coming home to visit his mother one day after he'd become a famous movie star. And he was feeling pr pretty good. He was feeling, feeling very, uh, very happy with himself. He would even say a little bit prideful. And he said he walked into the house and he, he said, Mom, did you ever think all this would happen? All the money and the fame and, and everything. And the, his, his mother said, please, first of all, go wash the windows. Secondly, you have no idea how many people were praying for you when you were a knucklehead. And ain't that the truth? Not only did it humble him, but also reminded him that as people were wrestling for him and praying for him, it always paid off eventually. See, God 
is gracious and patient with us. But that doesn't mean that the Spirit of God can't be strict with us or aggressive or, or discipline us. Because we know that the, the Scriptures say God is presented in the Bible, not our own opinion, but as in the Bible, that, that God wrestles, he disciplines those that he loves. He wrestled Jacob because he loved Jacob. So here's some of these scriptures I'm going to share. There's many more than this. Revelation 3.19. This is Jesus' words in Revelation. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Job 5.17. How happy is the one who God disciplines. Therefore, do not despise the discipline of the Almighty. Proverbs 12.1, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, those, but he hates those, but he, he who hates reproof is stupid. See, God disciplines us, he wrestles with us because he loves us. And if you're wrestling with someone or something, continue to contend in prayer. But you see, because I saw this quote from Dr. Tony Evans this week, it was a great thing, where he said, the greater the crisis the more glorious the destiny. So we can't give up interceding for our nation, interceding for our schools and our teachers, praying for our friends and loved ones, wrestling with, see, and it might sound cliche, but it is always darkest before the dawn. Christians, we are a people of hope. We are a singing people. And we are praying in agreement with the Spirit. And when we do that, we are agreeing with the Spirit who is eternally interceding on our behalf before the Father. Everyone does theology. It's true. Everyone does theology or anti-theology. But the fact that God wrestles us into a transformed life, let that give us hope that God doesn't give up on us. And the more we wrestle with him, the more we get of God. See, God's love never runs out. It always pursues. As we'll see in this song in a moment, that, that, that the love of God would leave the 99 to pursue the one wayward sheep. This is this divine mystery, the heart of God. And maybe you're listening to this, you're watching this today. I want you to know that the love of God is ready and available because he loves you as you are, but he loves you too much to leave you as you are. And he can and will give you a new nature to make you a new creation in Christ. This is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he who had no sin became sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. He went to the cross because he knew what you and I could become, but it is by choice and by faith that we receive that gift of eternal life for ourselves. And I'd be honored to pray with you as we go into this final song. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your love that pursues us, that never gives up on us. God, I pray that we would be honest with ourselves and with each other, that we'd be honest in surrendering our lives before you this morning. All things have come from you, God, and all things shall return. And although we may feel like we're in a valley right now, and maybe we are, you're still God. 
from age to age, you do not change. You're the alpha and the omega. In the midst of the wrestling and maybe the pain, you're with us in it. You don't let us go. So God, I pray even now in the power of the Holy Spirit that anyone watching or listening would open their heart to you and say to you, Jesus, I give you my life. I want to follow you. I'm tired. I know I need forgiveness. I know I'm broken. I know I can't do it alone. Come into my life and make me a new creation in Christ as your word promises that that you contend with me. You, You love because you love me. Thank you, Lord, that you pursue us, your incredible love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's sing this last song together.